0: Hey, what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. Today we talk with Roy Williams, the guy who coached Jacques Vaughn at Kansas. want to get Roy's perspective on uh, Jacques and what led him to Kansas, that relationship that they had, and uh, you get a little more insight into Nets head coach Jacques Vaughn and it's always great to talk to Roy Williams that southern charm that drawl we'll get into his humble beginnings his career as a coach just examining the branches of the Dean Smith tree that lead to the Nets sideline right now and Jacques Vaughn before we get into that I I just want to make one little plea here on what is called Giving Tuesday after Cyber Monday and Black Friday. Giving Tuesday was a day that was uh, to remind people about about giving to charity and doing good. I have a foundation called the Chris Carino Foundation for FSHD. And on this Giving Tuesday, I just want to let you know who we are, what we do, and hope that maybe you'll be moved to make a donation and support what we do. Uh, I was diagnosed with FSHD, fascio-scapular dystrophy. It's a type of muscular dystrophy. And when we started the foundation in 2011, it was a mechanism that was in place for people to help. I didn't want to just tell my story for the sake of telling my story. I wanted to have a mechanism in place where we can then do good and help other people. There was no cure or treatment. There wasn't even A single pharmaceutical company that was developing a drug or had any kind of a program back in 2011. Today there are over 20, and much of the science has been advanced by work that we have funded over the years, and we want to continue to do that. You know, if you listen to uh, my conversation with Tony Reali on the uh, the previous podcast that we had, Tony mentioned, you know, how doing good for others is a way to help yourself, help yourself feel better we talked about mental health issues and you know I joked that starting the foundation was the most selfish thing i'd ever done in my life because i was trying to ask people to help me and um it's been a rewarding experience it's uh something that we need to continue to raise money to try and fund the kind of research that gives people with FSDHD hope now I'm a big Ted Lasso fan there's that Ted Lasso episode where he He heard everybody talking about how it's the hope that kills you, and he got so angry at that. And I agree, it's not hope that kills you, it's hope that drives you. Hope drives all the efforts that we make on behalf of people with FSHD to continue to try and find a treatment and a cure. Because this is a progressive disease that you wake up every day with the reality that it's going to get worse, and you need hope that it's going to get better. And we don't need to fix people, but we need to try and improve the quality of life if we can. And a good friend of mine, Jeff Baum, who uh, is such a, a great supporter of people with FSHD and he's done so much. And, uh, you know, him and I were having a conversation and he said, you know, I don't know if this is all going to work, but at least we know we tried. So that's what we're trying to do with the Chris Curnope Foundation for FSHD. And I hope maybe on this Giving Tuesday, you'll, you'll click on the link that we have in the show notes, in the show description, and, uh, and contribute to our Giving Tuesday campaign. So I thank you for listening to that. And I appreciate your support, both in the past, in the present, and in the future. All right, now on to Roy Williams talking about Jacques Vaughn. You know, I actually was in uh, Charlotte when the Nets were down there. Jacques Vaughn was still in his interim phase and I was going through the concourse on my way to the broadcast location, and I passed Roy Williams in the hall. It's North Carolina royalty walking around in Charlotte. And um, you know, Tom Dowd, our producer, hunted him down. We wanted to get his his thoughts on, on Jacques Bond, and obviously thinks the world of him. And Jacques didn't know he was coming to Charlotte that day. So what a surprise it was and what a thrill it was for Jacques to see Roy Williams. And before a recent game, we asked Jacques Vaughn about that relationship with Roy Williams and seen him in Charlotte. Hey, Jacques, uh, going back a couple of weeks, when you guys were down in Charlotte, Coach Roy Williams was at the game, and it's been 25 since, years since you played for him. Just curious. I, I, I know there's gray in the beard and everything.
1: That's cold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but um, I'm just curious what the relationship has been over that time as you've kind of grown into your own coaching career and, and how significant it's been for you. Yeah, special connection. I, uh, he, he surprised me. I did not know he was going to meet me in the tunnel. Uh, it, typical of him not to uh, want to put me out of sorts. Uh, big hug, uh, put an extremely, um, I don't know, put a, a smile on my face, um, text me the next day about the game. I continue to check on him in his post-coaching uh, uh, career right now, playing a bunch of golf and spending time with his grandchildren. Uh, so he has a special place in my, in my heart as an individual, as a man. I've learned an extreme amount of uh, coaching from him and just uh, how to interact in a human setting. Uh, he's unbelievable. All right, now let's hear from Roy Williams right here on The Voice of the Nets. Roy Williams, you and I have something in common. Okay. And that is, I'm sure that both of us think very highly of Jacques Vaughn.
1: I would say that if anybody thinks as highly of Jacques Vaughn as I do, it would be a miracle (laughs) because I cannot imagine anybody that I hold in higher regard than I do Jacques Vaughn.
0: Where did it start with you? What was the first contact you had with Jacques? Do you remember it?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Junior in high school, uh, saw him play a couple of games in a tournament and then followed him that summer and tried to recruit him. He was absolutely the hardest guy to get on the phone of anybody I've ever recruited. And it sort of got to be a challenge. And so I wouldn't give up. But, you know, he was I think he was the valedictorian of the class at Pasadena Muir High School. And the phone stuff was really ridiculous. And so he would get home in the afternoon and go to the library. And I mean, I'm not talking about a bar in New York City called the Library. <laughs> no. He would actually go to the library every night, and you know, because wow. he wanted to keep his grades like that, and, and he was hard to get up with. But uh, it worked out okay for us, to say the least. And and then he tried to be a comedian all of a sudden. So <laughs> I'll tell you this. Uh, So his high school coach, Rocky, called me and Rocky said, hey, coach, he's going to make a decision and uh, call the coaches tonight uh, or you can call him or I forget what it was at that point. I said, "Okay," And so I called Jock and uh, we, you know, talked for 30 seconds. I said, "Okay, uh, big fella, tell me what you're going to do. And it was us. Uh, Indiana, Michigan, uh, and, you know, you always uh, think about Southern Cal or UCLA, hmm. but uh, he had told me that he didn't want to go to those schools, and uh, so all of a sudden he well, coach, I have made a decision, and uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I am going to go to UCLA, and then it just, my, my <laughs> heart dropped all the way to my little toes, and it was dead <laughs> silent for a minute, and I said jock. And he said, oh, coach, I'm just teasing. I'm going to come and play for you. And and so right then I knew I had somebody special because it was just, uh, uh, that was him. And, uh, you know, nobody recruited him harder than I did. Nobody went out there as much as I did. I mean, I think I visited his school and him and everything more than the coach at UCLA and the coach at Southern Cal did. And they were, you know, in the <laughs> same city. But uh, no, he's, uh, he, he's not to be most sincere, respectable, honest, intelligent, uh, well-rounded individual. I've, uh, I don't know what it is because it's, uh, he's just off the charts. He's the finest young man I ever recruited in every way, shape, or form.
0: I got to know Jacques when he, was, uh, when he played for the Nets. And then as an mm-hmm. assistant coach, we've been friendly. And, and uh, the thing that always struck me with Jacques Vaughn is that he does everything with a purpose, you know, he never mm-hmm. just saunters. He, When he's walking down the hall, he's going somewhere. He's got a purpose set out in mind. Was he like that in high school, in college?
1: Well, you know, as I said, he was really a competitive kid in academics as well as basketball. And he wanted to be the best student you could possibly be. And I had a really good team basketball-wise for the four years he was there, but really had five or six guys that they had competition every semester and every now and then, one of them make a four zero. But Jock, his freshman year, I remember this like it was yesterday, the first <laughs> home football game. And, you know, KU football, Kansas football was not very big. I mean, it's gotten better, but it was not very big at that time. But it still is a first home football weekend. And every player was down in the gym. And I said, where is Jock? And Scott Pollard was his roommate. And I said, Scott, where is Jock? And he said, Coach, he's back in his room working on the paper. I mean, this is 7 o'clock on Friday night. And I said, "The heck, I'm going to go see him. So I went to his dorm room. And, you know, it's just a few hundred yards away from Mallonville. That's where we were. And he was sitting in the floor. And he was working on his paper. And he had had his paper that he had turned in. And the uh, teacher had sent it back with the suggestions and the revisions. And so he had revised it. And then he had another revision and then another revision. And I said, Jock, you can't kill yourself like this. I want you to be the best student you can possibly be, but this is what I want you to do in life. Do the absolute best you can and then try again to do even better and then let it go and move on. I said, because you can rewrite this paper 10 times, but Mm. version number two may be better than version number 10. And uh, so that was the kind of young man that we had. And I recognized that. And, tried to make sure that I gave him enough time and space to get his work done because it was extremely important to him. But uh, I know it just, from day one, he was like that with me. He really was.
0: And this kind of advice on his career as well at Kansas because you guys, you know, you got so close mm-hmm. and were so close to a national championship. And I know that's a goal of yours and a goal of his. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you don't, you don't get there. And you've got to sort of be content knowing that you've done the best job that you could. It kind of was almost, uh, that. That's a, that's a corollary of his career and your career at Kansas, no?
1: Well, it is. And I tell you, it was something that uh, I desperately, at those days, maybe uh, the desperate is the right word, okay. I don't know, but uh, I really wanted those kids to win a national championship. And in fact, in 2007, I was um, uh, inducted in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. And I got a little emotional during my talk or when I was talking about my family because at one time I said I had a father and a mother and a sister and I didn't have any of them. They were all gone at that point. Mm. But uh, the one place where I really got emotional is I felt like it was very important for me to apologize to the 97 Kansas team. And I did during my induction speech is I apologized to them because I never got them to the final four. And that was, at that moment, the biggest blight and still is the biggest negative about my career because I felt like I let those kids down to not getting them to the final four because we were really good in 96 and we were sensational in 97. And a couple of guys came back even in 98. And with that, but I mean, uh, in 97 and 98, I think we won like 69 games and lost five or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but no, it was, it was, I knew it was a big time goal of jocks and he knew it was a, a goal of mine, but, uh, we didn't get it. And I was always telling him, regardless of what you do, you set goals and try to give everything you have to reach those goals. And it still may not work because the other guys may have the same goals, uh, sure. but, uh, that was uh, something that was extremely important to me and jock and a couple of the other guys said, coach, why would you waste your time? apologizing to us during what's supposed to be one of your best moments. And I said, because I couldn't get through it without it. <laughs> uh, but he's just, I'll give you another quick one. His senior year early on, he, I think it, I think it was his wrist. He broke his wrist or his hand or something yeah. like that in the preseason. And so the surgery was not done in Lawrence. The best hand specialist was in Kansas City. So it's a little less than an hour away. And I had a rule that I would try to get in the hospital and see him right before they went into surgery or I would be there in the deli- uh, wait, not delivery room, but the waiting room when they came out. And uh, so the nurse comes over there. I was there before Jock went in just to pat him on the back a head and something and say something stupid, probably let him go in. And the nurse came and said, Coach, I need to get your advice, what you want me to do with your team? And I said, what are you talking about? She your team is here. Now, this is at 6, 6.15, 6, 6 a.m. in the morning. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean my team? She said, your team's out there. And so I walk out to the outside area of the uh, operating area, and my entire team was there. And That's I didn't it. know they were coming. Jock didn't know they were coming. But the entire team traveled almost an hour over there wow. just to say good luck to Jock. And that is who he was at that time and still is so now it's uh, and uh, you know i was at his first game when he was a head coach in orlando mm-hmm. and he's just a special special young man
0: what was the the thing you would try to impart to him when he was embarking on a coaching career that first time as a head coach in orlando
1: Well, I was really surprised. When he was playing for me, I didn't see Jock becoming a coach. I told him, one day you're going to have a choice to make. You can be the governor of Kansas or you can be the governor (laughs) of California. And I really did. I thought that he would do something like that. And, you know, after he played, played me over 10 years, I can't tell you exactly what it was in the NBA and Every coach loved him, and I think that uh, he found out that, that it was what he wanted to do. But mm. we didn't talk about a coaching career when he was playing for me, and so the only advice I could ever give Jock is just son be yourself because when he's just himself, that's pretty doggone good.
0: Well, I think it's you're, you're, you have a self-deprecating way at times and I think you're sort of lessening the importance of the coaching profession, thinking there's more things that are important. But I think <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're molding young, I, I just talked to Bobby Hurley the other day for the podcast and, mm-hmm. and he talked about getting into coaching and he, and he said, you know, cause he, he just needed some time after the way his NBA career ended to kind of, right. um, you know, he was a little burnt out. And he said, he goes, but in hindsight, mm-hmm. I wish I had gotten into it earlier because I see the impact that I have on young people. And yeah. you you obviously had that impact. And yeah, I think, you know, there is an importance to coaching. You do have a great impact on young
1: people. Well, there's no question about that. And I all I wanted to do was be like my high school coach because he was the most important man in my male in my life. And I wanted to have that kind of effect on some other kids. And I don't know that I ever did, but that was my goal. I didn't know anything about it shoe contracts and radio shows or podcasts, to say the least by that time. But uh, I did, and my goal and my dream was to make sure that every kid knew that I gave them everything I had. I didn't want to give them 99%. I wanted to give them everything. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. Several of my players have gotten into coaching, and it's it's a wonderful feeling for me. But. Uh, yeah, I just say, uh, you know, in the state of politics right now, I think it's the biggest mess in our, <laughs> our history. We're more divisive right now than we've ever been. We've got more idiots in yeah. politics than anything I've ever seen. So, uh, most of my life, I have uh, uh, rated coaching as a much higher profession than politics. And I, and I would say it that nowadays more than any time ever in our life. But I just thought that Jock was going to be one of the greatest leaders. Yeah. Uh, that I'd ever known. And so, you know, the governor of Kansas, the governor of California was uh, was going to be, uh, you know, an easy deal for him.
0: What do you think is different about Jacques this time around as a head coach than maybe when he got that chance with Orlando from your correspondence with him?
1: Well, you know, and, and I, please, I'm not trying to act like Jock and I talk every day. He knows I love him. And I'm one of those guys that I don't call guys every other day just say, hey, you remember I love you or anything like yeah. that. He knows that, but uh, no, I saw him play, as I say, I saw him coach his first game in Orlando and I tried, I did get down to Charlotte when it was his second or third game as an interim basis. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, he's still important. He's never going to stop being important, but uh, you know, for me getting into the coaching deal is just marvelous. And uh, uh, when I would talk to him, we talked, uh, I guess, uh, uh, maybe during the summer before things started. And uh, I know when he was interim coach the last time and then they kept him as the top assistant, we had a conversation about living in Brooklyn and his mm-hmm. children and walking to school and those kind of things because I, I really don't uh, uh, care what he wants to do. I just want him to be happy and be satisfied. And Jock can do anything in the world and do it very successfully. So he's one of the guys that I worry about the least because he's going to, he's going to feel good about himself and feel good about what he's doing. But I know one thing, if those guys, and I don't care if it's Kevin Durant or who, if they will listen to Jock Vaughn, Jock Vaughn is going to give them the honest, best answer he can possibly give them. He's going to try to make them the best player he can possibly make them. And he's not going to have any agenda. It's not going to be about Jock Ron. It's going to be about our team. Hmm. And, yes, uh, you have to be concerned about each individual of that team. And I just can't imagine anybody that would ever question the way Jock feels. And so, to me, the biggest difference is I think that he'll get a legitimate chance this time. I mean, the last yeah. time he had a terrible team. And I even talked to some of the front office people. Now, give him a chance. Don't give him two years and say, because you got a terrible team. And I forget it wasn't even – I don't even know if it was two years, because but that's the NBA. But I yeah. think that uh, he understands that it's so fleeting, but uh, I think he's more prepared. Uh, you know, he was a head coach on his own. Then he was an interim coach, and then he's been the top assistant. Now he's back. So he's experienced, but – you know the one thing I can tell you. No, two things. One, there's nobody on his team that's as smart as he is, so they should get that <laughs> shit figured out quickly. <laughs> Excuse my French, but that's exactly they got to figure that crap out. That's to use. Yeah. But the, the the other thing, and they're not going to work as hard as he's going to work. And so, hmm. what do they want from the guy? And so, if the if the players believe that, and they should, then they're going to be more successful.
0: And I, and I, you know, you mentioned talking to him about staying in Brooklyn in this profession, coaching, it's a tough racket. Mm -hmm. You know that. Um, You were fortunate to be able to stay in one place for a very long time and you always left on your terms. That doesn't happen Mm -hmm. a lot. That's kind of the the outlier in coaching. Mm -hmm. And Jacques Mm -hmm. made that decision. He spent time as an assistant and the teams you mentioned he took over, that was during the bubble and COVID. And knowing was playing in Orlando and he still got him to a 7 and 3 record and they played well but then they bring in Steve Nash and he doesn't leave or go over another mm-hmm. t- he wanted to stay because i think you know, it was family and he had some stability which is something that coaches don't often get and i think it shows mm-hmm. you a little bit of of his character of what he put first in his life at that moment to decide to stay and and extend a, you know, his assistant coaching reign at, with the Nets has gone on seven years prior to getting this start.
1: Well, you said it right there. His character, I mean, it's, and, you know, every one of us say, oh, my family's first. And then a lot of times it's not, okay? Yeah. But Jock's not going to tell you. If he says it's Tuesday and I think it's Thursday, and he's already convinced me that it's Tuesday because I <laughs> believe in you know, it all the way down to my heart and soul. Right. And But uh, that, was, that was Jock. That didn't surprise me. It's just like, I'll yeah. tell you this. A long time ago, he's with the Spurs, and Greg Popovich is a great friend of mine. We served on the Olympic staff one year. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Pop is just great. Okay, I've known Pop since I was an assistant at North Carolina, so that's 35 years or more. Sure. And uh, so uh, they do their exit interviews, and the last player leaves, and then Pop's going to go in. and visit with the staff and the GM and all this kind of stuff. And they have all the players' names up on the board, and Pop goes over and circles Jock's name and says, just make sure we re-sign him because he was just finished a one-year deal or something like that. And, I mean, it wasn't talking about let's get this free agent or get this guy, get rid of this guy or anything. The first thing he said to his staff, because Pop Mm. told me this, he said, I circle his name and says, well, let's get this straight right now. I want him back. Let's make sure we re him. And so he's thought of like that by some, not Roy Williams alone, but <laughs> by some really, really, really good people. I mean, like Greg Clark, yeah. which I mean, I guarantee you, he, he would tell you he loves a guy. And so I think that, yeah, it's, it's different because he's more mature. He's been through more. But his family and, and the structure and, uh, and his children, I mean, that means something to him. He sure. could have been ticked off about, oh, you, yeah, you had me as an interim coach and then you bring in a coach who's never been a head coach. and Yeah, you want me to stay around and all this kind mm-hmm. But that wasn't Jock. Jock was looking at the big picture, his family and the fact that he liked being in Brooklyn and must have liked the GM and the owners and everything else. So that was more than his ego. And I think that uh, really says something for him too.
0: Well, Roy Williams, you know, I wanted to talk about your career a little bit. It's obvious in speaking to you about Jacques Vaughn that you care so much about the players that have played for you. And it shows that you have gone into the right field and the right profession. Where did it start for you? You mentioned your high school coach in North Carolina um where did it all begin that that spark to know that this <laughs> was the path because it's young people today maybe listening to this and going I don't know what my path is um yeah. where, how did the spark for you happen
1: well mine was really easy and I've been I've lived a blessed life I really have but uh you know, when I was young, my family home situation wasn't very good. My mom and dad were split. My dad was an alcoholic, was married five times. I mean, mm. my mom was his first. I mean, it was just, it wasn't very good. Education was never talked about in my home. Both my mom quit school in the 10th grade. My dad quit school in the 6th grade. And so education was never spoken of. But I loved ball, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, I just loved. And mm. my freshman year, I played on the JV team. And at the end of the year, my high school coach was talking to some of my friends who were older than me. I played always with the older guys just because they lived closer to me. And he told them that he thought this freshman, Roy Williams, had a chance to be the best point guard that school had ever seen. And that got back to me, and oh my gosh, that made me feel pretty good. Hmm. And uh, some of the other things, and he was the first person to give me confidence and the first person to make me feel good about myself. And that's the reason that I got into coaching because I wanted to be able to do that for some other Roy Williams. And it's all I wanted to be was be like my high school coach, but uh, and then all of a sudden I'm a college coach, and then all of a sudden you know I was I was an assistant at North Carolina for ten years. I mean I coached the JV team at North Carolina for eight years. When I first started North Carolina, I sold calendars to make a living, but coaching is what I wanted to do, and so I felt like that I'd paid the price, and then all of a sudden I'm the head coach at Kansas, and I remembered. Uh, I mean, I spoke to my high school coach yesterday. I spoke to, speak oh, wow. to him two yeah. or three times a week, and he's 82 years old. But I know that I will never be as important as my to those kids as my high school coach was to me. I needed that. Yeah. And uh, some of my kids need it, and some of them don't. Jock does. I mean, Jock's darn near perfect in my eyes, but at <laughs> uh, it, 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 some stage – that's what drove me, and then it was something I wanted to do. Everything I could uh, uh, to help them. I wanted to make them be successful. I wanted to get them to focus like I tried to focus. I didn't want anybody to outwork me. I didn't want anybody to outwork them. But uh, you know, it was it was something. At the end, I had been a head coach for 33 years, and I just did not feel like I was doing it as well as I had previously, mm. and I could not handle that. It had nothing to do with Transfer Portal or NIL or anything like that. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I was doing it as well. And my high school coach, in fact, said, you're an awfully hard grader on yourself. And I said, well, that's the way yeah. I want to be. But yeah. that's the reason that I stopped coaching. But but this thing is about Jock Ron. This is not about Roy Williams. <laughs> I've been a lucky dude. I mean, I'm just blessed. I mean, it's important to me that move on and really try to see my guys and help my guys, but also, you know, two children, four grandchildren, but uh, nobody loved coaching more than I did. I miss it tremendously.
0: But I do think that sometimes you you learn about the people you've influenced, you know, everybody talks about the coaching tree, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to see where the the branches are and go back to the roots, and then you get a, you know, more of an understanding of of the relationship. And I was just curious, I mean, everybody that I've ever spoken to, I've had friends like colleagues, like Michael Korn, a great North Carolina guy. Uh, Yeah. Michael (laughs) boy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Pat Sullivan is on the staff right now and he was with the Nets and his staff. Um, They Mm -hmm. have such great reverence for Dean Smith. And I know you started out at North Carolina on the freshman team and you kind of just volunteered or to help out with Dean Smith. How did that relationship come about and, and, and how did he influence your coaching
1: career? Well, you know, coach was the best there's ever been on the basketball court, and he was even better off the court because he cared Mm. about people. That's all it was. It wasn't about buildings or championships. It was about people. But, uh, you know, I'd played as a freshman, and I wasn't good enough to keep going. And I had to get a job because I didn't have enough money to stay in school. And so Mm. I was working, and the easiest way I found to work was work in the intramural department. And so I umpired baseball games, softball games. I refereed basketball games, officiated football. I mean, I did everything, but hmm. after my freshman year, I worked 24 hours a week. Every week I was in college, and but it was always doing something in the intramural office, and I later became the, the supervisor of all officials one year. I was the assistant director of the entire program, but it was great because I'd get out of class, and then I would just go to the intramural office, and I would always have a little time, and I would go and watch practice. And uh uh, coach Smith allowed me and cl- practices were closed basically except for me because I was a young kid and he knew I mm-hmm. wanted to coach and Coach Guthridge was my freshman coach. and mm-hmm. uh, So they knew I wanted to coach and then got to be a junior senior and I became Don't Laugh, but I came to known as the best official on campus for basketball <laughs> and so I'd, I'd go uh, referee some scrimmages for Coach Smith on Saturday morning and yeah. and again, he knew I wanted to coach and Coach Smith, Guthridge uh, knew that I wanted to. and. Then I guess in my senior year, I started keeping the stat sheet because I was the only one that could understand. (laughs) It was early, early on in analytics, and Coach Smith wanted a points per possession chart. And so Mm -hmm. I would do that and hand it to Coach Smith at halftime. Uh, It was the first thing he would look at at every halftime. So I had to get it done and do the math and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Mm -hmm. I think, and then I worked his camp, and uh, evidently I did a good job in camp because he saw this young guy that he thought could help him. And so he offered me a job, but, uh, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I loved it. I really did. It was a difficult starting because I didn't make much money, but at the same time, I never cared about money one second.
0: No. And that, and that was the best thing you ever did. Was to start working oh, yeah. with Coach Smith, um, you well, know I, Michael.
1: I had to make my living as a calendar salesman for
0: a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> That'd be yeah. It would been tough to go through life as a calendar salesman, but you got to do what That's you got to right. do. Um, you know, Michael Corn would tell me that Coach Smith, when when Mike was coaching with the Nets in those Jason Kidd years, Coach Smith would call him up, would would tell him I watched your game and and give him some some things that he would talk about with him. When you have your former players like Jacques Vaughn, do you feel like you want to watch and help a little bit and talk to him or is that, do you not want to intrude? Do you wait for him to invite some of that stuff? How do you approach that with uh, some of your former players who coach? Well,
1: very, very carefully. I guess it's one way. Ginger, maybe another way. But, you know, I was very fortunate. 14 different NBA teams talked to me about being their head coach during my career. And I, mm. one guy said, you know, why don't you want to try the highest level? And I told him I was at the highest level. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the NBA game is different. And when I talked to whether it's Jock or Pop or any Kevin Pritchard, who's a general manager of the Indiana Pacers that played for me, You know, we talk a little basketball, but it's up to them to ask me what I think. And Mm -hmm. uh, if I have an opinion, I will give it to them. But if I don't have or if I'm uncertain, I'll just tell them that. But Jock and I talk about uh, family. We talk about what he's doing. We talk about life. You know, and I try not to bug him. But at (laughs) the same time, if he wants to ask me, what do you think about do you think the NBA has gone too far away from offensive rebounds? And I'll say, darn right, I think they don't emphasize it enough. You know, I think if I were to coach in the NBA, I'd run the Dickens out of it, and I would offensive rebound the crap out of it, and I'd probably there get fired. So you know, <laughs> well, so those kind of things, but I would wait for Jock. That goes
0: back to what we were talking about before, and, you know, the coaching racket in the NBA, you get hired mm-hmm. to get fired. And, yeah. and you were able to you know, put together so many years at Kansas and North Carolina where you left on your own terms. Um, I wanna be respectful and mindful of your time here, uh, Coach. I appreciate you joining us and um, talking about Jacques, but I do, at the end of all of my interviews, I do this one thing, but it's, uh, you remember the great Jim Balbano, who I know you know? Yeah. Uh, and he gave that great speech at the ESPYs, uh-huh. the never give up speech. Right. right and this is dear to me i'm somebody who's dealt with some health issues in my life and i and i've always felt like that's that was always an inspiration for me so he said to live a full life you need to do three things every day he said laugh cry be moved to tear something that moves you and think mm-hmm. so i'm going to ask you roy williams what or who or something recently that makes you laugh my grandchildren
1: uh, children and grandchildren and former players when they start trying to mimic the, what I used to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How many grandchildren do you have now? Four. Four. And, and
1: uh, older, younger? 12-year-old little boy, 11-year-old little boy, 5-year-old little boy, and finally got a granddaughter. since so she is three.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And now you've got some time mm-hmm. to spend time with them. That's awesome. So that's I'm sure right. they make you that's giggle. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Well, what moves you? It could be the same thing, but is there something, uh, I, I liked, I, I'll cry at a good commercial, but is okay, there anything yeah. that, that, that makes you tear up?
1: Yeah, people say I can do the same thing and I can cry at anything. And, uh, and in fact, the writers used to sort of laugh at the uh, end of the season. I would cry because I'm not, you know, get my, I'm never going to have this group to coach again. And one year it finally fired me up. And I said, well, let me tell you, I know who said that. And at the end of this press conference, walk up here and say it to my face and I'll find out how daggum tough you are. You know, so <laughs> nobody ever walked up to me. But no, I can cry at the heartbeat, but it's most of the time. When I cry, it's about somebody. It's mm-hmm. not that I didn't get this or I did get that or this, but it's about people, Either people that I love, uh, people that help do great things for me. Uh, so, yeah, but I can, I can cry at any time.
0: And finally, uh, at Barclays Center, where Jacques Vaughn is going to be prowling the sidelines as the head coach of the Nets, when you walk in through the front door, there's this huge uh, circular digital sign. Um, mm-hmm. it's an Oculus. And if you could put anything up there for the masses to see as they come through those doors, even the subway enters right there, um, just a message or an image or something that you would want to get across to everyone who enters, uh, what do you think that might be?
1: Well, I've been fortunate. I spoke at, uh, commencement for, you know, two years ago, the COVID year. And then, uh, um, mm-hmm. one of the things I said, okay, now what are you going to do? Hmm. and that's what I want the people to think now what are you going to do okay you've already accomplished this it may be great things it may be little things but live life in front of you Uh, my favorite saying of all time be led by your dreams not pushed by your problems I love that I love that so now what you're going to do coach I'm going to go take my wife to dinner, <laughs> and I'm heading to Portland uh, tomorrow to be out there to watch the tournament, see the Tar Heels play in the tournament. In fact, I was going to stop in Phoenix and watch Cam Johnson play a game, but Cam had to hurt his knee and a knee surgery. Yeah. Now I'm just going straight to Portland and watch the Tar Heels play in the tournament. Well, you've
0: got time to do that, and and, uh, and when you retire, I know a lot of times you've got to find things to replace what you did, but if you always have that in mind, mm-hmm. your advice right there, now what are you going to do? You've got yeah. time to, to spend yeah. with your with your family. It's great.
1: Well, it is. You know, with the two children, four grandchildren, it's been great. And I, last year I traveled around the country and saw some of my former players who were in coaching, like King Rice right down the road at Monmouth. And, yes. You know, those kind of things are important, and, and I do want to get back and uh, see – Uh, Jock coach again. I surprised him down in Charlotte. He didn't know I was coming but just getting a big hug from him before the game was one of the great moments of my life.
0: Well, Coach, thank you so much for joining us and talking about Jock. I knew it's an easy assignment for you to do and uh, we really appreciate you taking
1: the time and look forward to seeing you in Brooklyn. Well, I look forward to getting up there but uh, as I said one other time, give him a chance because everybody comes into contact with Jock Vaughn is going to be better when they walk away.
0: All right, that's the great Roy Williams, the Hall of Famer. Thank you to Coach. I want to leave you with our song of the episode. We talked about hope in the outset, and I gave you my plea to support the Chris Carino Foundation for FSHD, and I appreciate if you could do that again. The link is in the show notes today from the great Irish singer-songwriter Glenn Hansard. song called The Song of Good Hope. Watch the signs now. You'll know what they mean. You'll be fine now. Just stay close to me and may good hope walk with you through everything. Thanks to my producer, Tom Dowd, engineer, Isaac Lee. I'm Chris Carino. This is The Voice of the Nets.